0: This is a reading of a collection of lectures by Rudolf Steiner. It is Collected Works, Volume 150, entitled How the Spiritual World Projects into Physical Existence, the Influence of the Dead. Lecture 1. Given in Augsburg on the 14th of March, 1913. Giving a public anthroposophical lecture at the present time and what I am saying here must also be taken into account with anything anthroposophical that we present to the world outside to people who have not joined an anthroposophical association we must always be aware that the souls of people today do have a great deep-down longing for anthroposophy but that in the parts of their inner life which they themselves are aware of there is very little connection with the spiritual truths. Of course, this does not mean that one should consider what such people might like or not like in a public lecture. We should never ask ourselves about this, but we have to take into account that habits of thinking exist in our age, ways of seeing things, which in many respects are the absolute opposite of the things we must work toward in gaining anthroposophical insight. I always take great care to take into account what must be taken note of as I try to establish the difference in tone needed for a public lecture as distinct from speaking to our anthroposophical friends, and we should get in the habit of really maintaining this difference. Perhaps people who are still far from familiar with anthroposophy will not like what is said to them, but we need not take this for something undesirable. Providing we are aware that we have presented things to them which their souls need at that time. But when we are amongst ourselves, as it were, we truly must endeavour to go more and more deeply into things. Certain truths that are indeed extraordinarily important and significant for the present time, truths we must deal with amongst ourselves, so that from that point, they penetrate more and more deeply into the cultural life of the times, cannot yet be put openly and plainly before the general public. This is something we must properly understand. Let us assume we talk of something which plays into human life all the time, of the way in which all human life on earth is penetrated by the armonic, by the luciferic powers, or we talk of certain things that relate to the life between death and rebirth. We need to avoid talking too freely of these things to people who are not prepared, but not because of something that often comes up particularly in a society like ours, something we might call a degree of mystery-mongering, with most of the people involved not even having a real idea as to why this is going on. What should prevent us from talking too freely about these things to people who are not prepared is that people who are not prepared are unable to be really serious about these things and do not consider them in sufficient depth. For anthroposophists, the terms Aramonic, Luciferic powers should gradually become something of such significance in life, something that touches them so deeply in their feelings and sentience when spoken that one gets this feeling that when we throw these words at someone unprepared, the inner strength that should come when they are said has been taken from them. And we also harm ourselves if we use these terms without much thought, just when we feel like it in ordinary life. When we open our purse, for instance, and have to do with money, it is perfectly true that we are dealing with our monic powers. But it is Not good to use the term aramonic without much ado any time we like, for this deadens us in our sentience, our feelings. And we then do not have the least possibility of still having words which, when we think or speak them, have the elemental significant meaning for us which they should have. It is extraordinarily significant that we do not fling such things about in everyday life, This will indeed gradually deprive us of the best thing, the most effective thing that anthroposophy has to offer. The more we have the anthroposophical terms on our lips under everyday conditions, the more do we deprive ourselves of the possibility that anthroposophy becomes something for us that truly sustains the soul, enters deeply into our soul. We need only consider the force of habit and we shall see that there is a difference if we use words such as aura, let us say, or ahrimanic powers, or luciferic powers, with a certain sense of awe, knowing that we are speaking of other worlds. If we always feel that we have to stop, as it were, before we use such words, using them only when it really is a matter for us of considering our relationship to the supersensible world, It will be something different from talking of these things of the higher world on any occasion in everyday life, having words that are taken from those worlds on our lips all the time. I had to give this introduction because in this particular session we want to refer to something in the human soul which should always be there in our conscious mind, but which we only consider in the right way. If we do so with a certain sense of awe, take the essay titled The Education of the Child in the Light of Anthroposophy, which is on this website. There it is shown, as it were, what happens as the human being develops through seven-year periods. It is shown that up to the seventh year to second dentition, we mainly have to do with the physical body development and in the next period, from the seventh to the fourteenth year, up to sexual maturity, with development of the ether body, and so on. When we consider the way the human being develops in seven-year periods, you are mainly dealing with the things that the, in quotes, normal spirits of the higher hierarchies are causing to happen in human evolution. It is indeed forward-moving development in seven-year periods, and we are able to say the divine and spiritual powers that are truly forward-moving guide and govern this evolution in seven-year periods. If they alone were involved in human development, the whole of human life would take a different course than it actually does. Above all, people would relate in a very different way to young children. They would always have the feeling that a spiritual entity was speaking in a young child. Indeed, We would always feel that in everything they do, undertake, young children are receiving their impetus, their impulses from higher worlds. And people certainly would not feel anything other but that children are acting on far higher impulses than those which they themselves are able to penetrate with their intellect. And that would continue for a relatively long time. And people would then feel that the last thing they want is for children to be really clever in the human and earthly sense as early as possible, something which people today consider highly desirable. If people only had children whose development was guided in seven-year periods by forward-moving divine and spiritual powers, and if these people met a child who today delights people around him because he is saying and doing such clever things, whereas They would be used to those other conditions. Those people would say, Oh, how soon has this child become God-forsaken! Things that delight people today would then be felt to be a punishment. And they would consider a young person of 15 who was as clever as he would be expected today to be utterly God-forsaken for the forward-moving divine and spiritual powers really only ask that human beings bring out their capital I nature completely between the twenty-first and twenty-eighth years. Before that, anything they did would rather appear to be such that higher spiritual, supersensible impulses were acting through them. Those children would, however, have a life that would appear dreamy on the outside, but people would feel that this dreamy life was God's or the Spirit's blessing, and they would not, in the least, desire to bring up their children in some way to be precocious in the modern sense. We know that something else also comes into these periods of human development. As we have made clear on a number of occasions, it is the development of self-awareness in the third, fourth, and fifth year at a time which we may in general terms characterize by saying it is the point in time to which people's memory goes back in later life. It is the moment when a person begins to say capital I to himself or herself. You really need to see the whole development of the human being as being two streams, evolution with the forward-moving divine and spiritual powers working on this, and then the other stream, through which human beings begin to develop self-awareness, a memory that will later allow them to remember back to that moment. This does not at all come from the divine and spiritual powers. They would keep us rather dreamy for much longer, would influence the world around us. We gain self-awareness so early and say I to ourselves so early merely because of the influence of the Luciferic powers. We are therefore dealing with two streams, a divine and spiritual stream that is the regular one, as it were, but would only take us to a clear, definite self-awareness between our twenty-first and twenty-eighth years, and a luciferic stream within us. The impulses of this luciferic stream run right across the other stream, doing something completely different to what the forward-moving divine and spiritual powers really want to have from us. The effect is that actually, within the first period, we learn to say I to ourselves, learn to develop egoity inwardly in the soul and have a memory that goes back. If we really think about this, we can get an idea of this ongoing development of ours. Think the Luciferic influence away and consider only how the forward-moving spirits would make of the human being a quietly flowing stream. Think of this as an image of the ongoing flow of a human life under the influence of what are really good divine spirits. And we walk along the quietly flowing water for a bit and then pour in red or blue matter, a chemical that will not mingle with the clear water, a second stream which from a given point onward flows along beside the first stream. This is how the Luciferic stream has been flowing in us, together with the steady Yahweh or Christ stream from about the middle of our first seven-year period. Lucifer thus lives in us. If this Lucifer did not live in us, we would not have that second stream. But if we lived only in the first stream, we would be aware that until we are in our twenties, we really are a member of the divine and spiritual powers. Awareness of independence, of inner individuality and personal nature, comes to us with the second stream. We, therefore, also see the wisdom of letting this luciferic stream enter into us. Something also happens in the second seven-year period, which in a sense we may consider to be a stream that is not connected with the divine spirits that are merely forward-moving. We have already referred to it from a particular point of view. It comes in about the ninth or tenth year, which is in the second seven-year period. For thoughtful individuals, it brings experiences of the kind I have spoken of, giving the example of Jean-Paul. It probably came a bit earlier in his case, and for others it comes in about the ninth or tenth year. This is a marked strengthening, a densification, we might say, of the sense of self, of I. The fact that something special is happening may also be established in another way, though I would not recommend making this other way a particular rule in bringing up children. All one can say is that one can observe it when it should happen of its own accord, as I might put it, but we certainly should not play around with it and definitely not make it a principle in bringing up children. For if you ask a child in his or her ninth or tenth year who has no clothes on to look at himself or herself in a mirror, and the child has not been dulled by our principles for bringing up children, which are often peculiar today, she or he will quite naturally feel afraid on seeing his or her unclothed figure, a certain fear, unless the child has already been made coquettish by looking in a mirror too often. We can observe this especially in children with natural feelings who have not often looked in the mirror. For this is a time when something grows in human beings that is like a kind of counterbalance to the luciferic stream that had come in the first seven-year period. In this second period, in around the ninth or tenth year, Araman takes hold of the human being and his stream is a kind of counterbalance to the luciferic stream. Now, we can do something that will really please Araman by developing the growing child's intellect, an intellect focusing on the outside world which is perceived through the senses, at this particular time, saying to ourselves, at this time the child must, as far as possible, be trained to form his own independent opinion everywhere. You know that I am here referring to a principle that is fairly generally applied in education today. It is almost generally demanded today that independent judgment be developed, especially at this age. People even provide calculators so that the children are not even asked to learn their tables by heart. This is entirely so because people are, in a sense, well disposed toward araman in our time. The wish is unconsciously, of course, to educate children in such a way that Ahriman can be cultivated as much as possible in the human soul. And with regard to current methods of education, we say to ourselves as occultists, the people who represent these methods of education are simply bunglers. Araman would do better if he were to write these principles of education himself. But the things said particularly about children's independence, their own opinions, are truly based on being disciples of Ahriman. The situation, which I can only refer to briefly, will get very much worse in the immediate future, for Ahriman will be a good leader for the outer powers and guides of the spirit of our time. Take a matter like the one we have just been discussing. We have to regard it to be something which is coming to human beings quite naturally and as a matter of course, that people feel Lucifer and Ahriman approaching them, It would be quite wrong to think that it would be better to eliminate Lucifer and Aramon altogether. That would be quite impossible. The following will perhaps show you how impossible it would be. If our lives were not regulated, as it were, by the forward-moving divine and spiritual powers working together with the Aramonic and Luciferic powers, that is, if only the forward-moving powers were to work on us, We would gain a degree of independence at a much later time, and even this independence would be such that just as we now perceive colors, light, we would then have no doubt at all but that divine and spiritual powers are truly at work behind the colors and the light, that is, behind the things we outwardly perceive. We would perceive world thoughts together with our sensory perceptions. We would gain independence, but only in our twenties, but we would then also perceive world thoughts out there. We would dream away our youth, for divine and spiritual powers would be active in us, and when they ceased to be active from within, they would come to us from outside. We would perceive their thoughts from outside in the same way as we are now receiving sensory perceptions. We would therefore never have proper independence, except for a few years toward the twentieth year, when we would be visible to ourselves. As children we would be dreamers. In the middle years we would not really be able to determine our own lives out of our own impulses and decisions, but would simply see what we have to do wherever we came face to face with the outside world similar to the way people were still able to do in ancient Atlantis. Independence flows into us because Lucifer and Ahriman are at work in us. Tremendously much will, of course, depend on it that we do not say the things foolish educationists are saying about the human being today, always talking of, in quotes, development, that one is meant to draw out the inner qualities of people. When it comes to education, we are only talking sensibly about the human being if we know that three principles are involved in the human soul, namely, the forward moving good divine spirits, and Lucifer and Ahriman, and if we can tell these latter two apart. It is particularly valuable for us to take, first of all, the main point of view from the position of the forward moving divine spirits, and, above all, consider. What is asked of us if we consider the seven-year periods in human development? With regard to this, we can truly help every individual by having the right attitude. We will do something that is good for the child, whatever the circumstances, if we create situations in the first seven years where the child lives in an environment that is healthy for his or her physical body. We do something that is good for them, whatever the circumstances, by creating good authorities in the best sense of the word around children in the second seven-year period, so that they will not be know-alls at that time, but rely on people around them whom they respect as authorities, people to whom they are devoted. We do something that is good when we raise children who do not want to know everything themselves in their ninth or tenth year. But who, if asked why one thing or another is right and good, will say, Because my father or my mother has said that it is good, or because my teacher said so. If we raise the children so that the adults around them are the accepted authorities, we do something that is good for them, whatever the circumstances. We are doing something that is bad for the young person, whatever the circumstances if we sin against these seven-year periods, creating such conditions that at this very time the children start to criticize the people who have the natural authority, if we do not prevent this critical attitude from developing. And we are also doing nothing particularly good for them if we do not find opportunity to talk to a person between the 14th, 15th and 21st year in such a way that one is able quite naturally to rise with him to ideals, ideals that fill the heart with joy. We have to talk about ideals with people at that age, about what life will bring for human beings who are developing in the right way, whatever the circumstances. We would be right to say, truly our hearts might sometimes break today when 18-year-old boys, sorry, persons are already writing for features, supplements in the papers. If instead of accepting these things of theirs, one were to talk with them about something which absolutely does not yet leave its mark on outer life, but which they will only bring to realization later in life, if one were to talk with them about the great ideals in human life, sharing their enthusiasm, that would be the right attitude to have. Someone, an editor for instance who accepts an article from someone who has not yet reached his twentieth year is really doing something worse whatever the circumstances than someone who says to the young person coming in with his article quote, now look, that is really very good what you have done but you will have very different ideas about it when you are ten years older so put it away for now and take it up again in ten or twelve years Someone who does this and then looks at the manuscript and talks with the young person about the ideals for life which one may connect with it, is doing something which is good for the young person. This is merely to highlight that the things said in my title The Education of the Child essay should really always be taken into account in the upbringing, whatever the circumstances. All the other things important Lucifer and Ahriman do not permit general rules. They are indeed different for every individual, for they relate directly to the nature of the individual. There it is often a matter of the educator's tactfulness, and one can't come in with all kinds of pedantic rules. I wanted to characterize for you all that is to be found in the human soul, and how we must take Lucifer and Ahriman into account. If we want to understand the whole of human nature, and we truly want to consider everything about which we should not just say, quote, we have to fight Lucifer and Aramon. quote. If we want to fight Lucifer, whatever the circumstances, there would be a sure way of doing this. We merely have to prevent the individual from developing memory. For just as it is true that certain moon spirits have been brought into our evolution on earth, so it is true that memory is always a luciferic power. All we would have to do, therefore, would be not to develop a memory. This is why I said in the essay that the period between the seventh and fourteenth year is when it is right to develop memory. During the time before, that we need not systematically train memory for there it develops of its own accord, since Lucifer is most of all in human beings at that time. After sec- second dentition, however, we start to develop memory. By then Araman has created his counterbalance to Lucifer, and will no longer play downright into Lucifer's hands when we develop our memory. We certainly should never think of fighting Ahriman, once again, there would be a simple way of combating the worst armonic influences, but it would not be good for us. What we should have to do is to knock out the teeth someone has developed at second dentition, for there we have the most striking armonic influences. Human beings have only their milk teeth from the forward-moving powers. The independent dentition people have for the rest of their life is entirely due to the aramonic influence. We have to see, from looking at these things, that much that is part of us cannot be part of us in any other way than having the aramonic and luciferic powers in us. We sometimes even manage to be quite dissatisfied with the way we unconsciously act against araman. We do prepare ourselves in the course of life to have certain powers once we have gone through death so that Araman will not be able to do too much to us between death and rebirth. But sometimes we allow ourselves to be quite clearly aware that the fight against Araman is not actually welcome, for instance, when we regret the loss of every one of our teeth. Yet every time we lose a tooth we gain a power for which we have good use. Of course, I am not saying anything against fillings or the re-implantation of teeth, for this does not add anything aramonic, at most the gold itself, but that does not matter. So we cannot say that it is something bad. The fact that we gradually lose our aramonic teeth is due to the fact that in the course of evolution we do also gain certain impulses, and these overcome Araman. Irrespective of whether we have a tooth re-implanted or not, we have gained an impulse that helps us with the powers we need to develop at the very lowest level between death and rebirth. It is a very little thing at first, but it can show us how essentially we must truly get in the habit as we approach reality and look beyond unreality and the great illusion that is usually around us of seeing things in life in a very different way from the way in which they are usually seen. The weakness of old age, for example, is also a power that comes to us directly when we are sentient of it, so that once again we have something to fight Araman when we have gone through the gate of death. Here, between birth and death, we may indeed be annoyed if we age too soon. But with regard to our intentions after death, when we want to cope with Ahriman, we must be glad that we do age. Now, you see how marvelously it is arranged that the inner core of spirit and soul remains for us, which has to do with the forward-moving powers as it continues to develop between birth and death. For this seed, which goes through the gate of death, is governed solely by the forward-moving powers at the point where it has developed its greatest inner resilience. The part outside this, which outwardly withers away, is where the Aramonic powers are. And we must now consider what this Aramon actually is to the seer. When our plants grow from the ground wither as autumn approaches and the leaves fall. The elemental spirits whom Ahriman sends to the earth's surface are in evidence everywhere. He then gathers in all that is dying. He has it gathered in by his elemental spirits. When you walk through the fields in autumn and see dying nature clairvoyantly, Ahriman is extending his powers everywhere and has his elemental messengers everywhere who bring him everything that is withering physical and etheric by nature. But we human beings are really also in a kind of autumn and winter mood all day long. Truly, the soul's summer mood exists only when the soul is asleep. It truly is the case that the sleeping human body, physical body and ether body, ranks equal with the plant and the eye and the astral body, which are outside, cast their rays back onto the physical and etheric body, acting like sun and stars, and letting the powers sprout forth which we have destroyed during the day. There the vegetative life grows and daytime thinking really exists only to get rid again of what the night lets sprout forth. When we wake up, we dart across our vegetative life just as autumn does across the plants on earth. And in our daytime waking hours, we do to our physical and etheric body what winter does to the earth's vegetation, to anything by way of sprouting, shooting life which they produced in the soul's summertime, that is, in sleep, during the night. When we are awake, it is winter, truly winter of the soul, And we must go to sleep if we want to have the soul's springtime. That is the way it is. And from this point of view, it is really easy to see why people who do not mix at least something from the soul's summer into their daytime waking life do so easily dry out. Dry scholars, withered professor types. These are the people who do not like to accept anything unless it is in full consciousness do not like to accept anything from the soul's summer time. They dry out, turning into out-and-out winter people. And for the seer, the whole development of human daily life is seen to be very similar to what I have just been telling you about the natural world. For when human beings develop their ordinary thoughts relating to the outside world, when they are utterly materialistic, in thinking only the things that happen outwardly, their thoughts affect the brain to such an extent that this brain excretes substances which Ahriman can really do with, so that Ahriman is really accompanying waking daytime life all the time. And the more materialistic we are, the more we are we obsessed with Ahriman. No wonder that it is true to say that materialism has to do with fear. For if you remember the guardian of the threshold, you will be aware how fear is again connected with Ahriman. We are meant to get the feeling that in life we are indeed face to face with complicated spiritual worlds. And what Anthroposophy is meant to give us is not only that we know various things, know that there is Ahriman, Lucifer, a physical body, an ether body. That is the very least of it. What we are meant to gain from anthroposophy is a certain soul mood, a basic feeling for human life, for what really is there in the depths of the soul. And so it is necessary for us to treat the words connected with these higher beings with some awe, to respect them. If we have them on our lips all the time, it will all too easily happen that their serious meaning, their dignity is blunted. So we see the human being between birth and death as he relates to the forward-moving spiritual powers. And in a sense he is between Lucifer and Armon. In order that the whole development of the human being may proceed in the right way, this relationship must remain like this also between death and rebirth. Except that the things which are in us between birth and death will be outside between death and rebirth. Inwardly, Lucifer has his claws in the human being from the moment to which our memory goes back. Inwardly so, for human beings know nothing of this, unless they learn something of it from spiritual science and get to feel about it. Things are different after death. Lucifer makes his appearance at a particular time, just as surely as he does inwardly between birth and death, and now outwardly in the life between death and rebirth he stands before us in his whole form there is at our side and we walk with him we know little of lucifer before we have gone to the gate of death but we know him clearly and definitely when he is at our side between death and rebirth it is only that awareness of this it is only that awareness of this can be rather unpleasant in the present time cycle We may thus go through the region between death and rebirth, having Lucifer at our side. There is not only something terrible about him, but also something beautiful, glorious as far as his outer form goes, and realize that he is needed by the world. A time is coming more and more where people will only be able to go through life after death with Lucifer if they have already got to intuit and know the Luciferic impulses in the human soul properly whilst here in life. People, and there will also be more and more of them as time goes on, who do not want to know about Lucifer, and they are probably in the majority, will know all the more of Lucifer after death. It is not only that he will be at their side, but being at their side, he will be drawing on their powers of soul all the time, he will vampirize human beings. This is what people prepare for by not knowing, to be vampirized by Lucifer. With this one deprives oneself of powers for the next life, for one will be giving them over to Lucifer in a way. Things are very much the same with regard to Ahriman. Here the situation is this. The two spirits are always present between death and rebirth. But on the one occasion one of them is more present and the other less. On the other occasion it is the other way round. We pass away and then return again in the life between death and rebirth. Lucifer is above all at our side in the passing away. Aramon when we move toward being born again. For Araman takes us back to the earth again. He is important in the second half of coming back again. And he, too, is able to do dreadful things, as it were, to the people who do not want to believe in him in their life between birth and death. He will give them too much of his powers. He confers on them something he has always to spare, the powers connected with earthly gravity that mean sickness and premature death for people, bringing all kinds of accidents that seem random into earthly existence, and so on. All this has to do with these Aramonic powers. In Munich I presented the subject from a slightly different point of view. There I showed that after death the human soul can be the spirit who serves the powers that send sickness and death from the supersensible worlds to the sense-perceptible world. The element which makes life weak is most welcome to Ahriman, making it possible for him to weaken our lives further. But, again, we must not be biased in our judgment. It would be quite wrong to say, so it is very bad that Ahriman has taken us into life and that we may have to suffer the after effects of him in life. No, it is good because it may well be that a sickness turns out to be something that contributes a great deal to our ascending development. When we approach the threshold that separates the supersensible from the sense-perceptible world, we must always be prepared to modify our views a little and not judge things the way we are used to judging them in the ordinary physical world. For, I think you'll agree, the physical world has a superabundance of maya. Where does the materialism in the physical world come from? That materialism where people say there is no Araman, there simply is no devil. Who is it who shouts loudest that there is no devil? Those who are most possessed by him. For the spirit whom we call Araman is enormously interested in having his existence denied by those who are most possessed by him. Quote, the common people never know the devil, even when they've caught him. Close quote. So that is a dreadful Maya, not to believe in Araman, For it means that he's collared one most of all when one does not believe in him. In that case, one gives him the greatest power over oneself. If it is wrong, therefore, to say that monists fight the devil when they rant and rave against him. No, a materialistic and monistic gathering where people rant and rave against the devil is liable to conjure up the devil. More than the witches of old do modern materialists call up the devil, much, much more so. That is the truth, and the other is maya. So we must learn to judge things differently. Someone who goes to a monistic meeting with materialistic nuance is untruthful when he says that these people free humanity from the devil. He ought to say, I am now going to a meeting where the devil is called into human culture with all the powers that human beings have. We should really be aware that as we grow into spiritual life, as it were, we learn not only concepts and ideas, but to rethink, re-feel, and still be sensible enough when facing the outside world that we do not all the time confuse that outside world in a gushing way with the truth that exists for the supersensible worlds. When people are all the time using words that really only have a true value in the supersensible worlds, they are depriving themselves of the most important thing, which is that we learn to distinguish. And not to mix up sense perceptible and supersensible worlds, that we learn to use the words in their proper sense. These are various things we wanted to refer to today, when for the first time we have come together in such great numbers, with visiting friends as well, in our recently established Augsburg branch. And today, when we wanted to gather the thoughts in our souls here that shall be a help. In the work done here, a serious word must also be said, like a kind of official opening for this Augsburg branch. For it will surely flourish under the guidance and direction of the masters of wisdom and harmony of sentience, who serve the forward-moving spirits if the work done here harmoniously takes its place in a wider stream of spiritual work. And our visiting friends have come to join you, my dear Augsburg friends, so that today they can also be with you in developing thoughts in their souls of love and devotion for the general anthroposophic cause, and for every individual in his anthroposophical strivings. In these souls something will remain that had its starting point in these meetings, having developed in these souls like a wellspring of belonging together. You, my Augsburg friends, will be working on your own again here from week to week, from time to time, but only seemingly so, only in outer spatial terms. Having so many friends join you will be the starting point for the strengthening powers that can really flow into all individual work done without our spiritual movement. From all those who belong to this spiritual movement, even when we are not together with friends from some group or other in terms of space. That is why it is so good when for once the opportunity is given for a greater number of our friends to come together with a young branch. For then the point in which they have come together in time will also be an outward sign of the kind we do need, being human, that from here on... The will can truly also come again and again to us to think of the individual work done there by our friends in one place or another. And if you, my dear Augsburg friends, who have been working faithfully for some time on Anthroposophy, will continue the work faithfully in future, do remember that there will be friends in the world who think of you with the intention that this work be a good and true part of our whole spiritual movement. Thus we share our common membership and never lose sight of the fact that we do belong together. Let it always be clear and present in our minds. For only then will those powers truly be able to help that pertain to our genuine work, the powers of the masters of wisdom and the harmony of sentience. These powers will flit invisibly through your thoughts when you also do this, our anthroposophical work here in this town. In their anthroposophical presence and activity, until now our dear Augsburg members have shown in so many ways how faithfully and truthfully they want to work with us. And because of this we are also, all of us, doing something important when, now, being together gives us the occasion to unite our thoughts in the goal that has brought us together here. May the work of our Augsburg sisters and brothers be blessed, and strengthened by the powers to which we are always appealing. It is in this spirit that I call for the blessing also for this branch of the masters of wisdom and the harmony of sentience, the blessing of which I know that it is with the work when we prove ourselves worthy of it. The End of Lecture 1